you this morning. Could you turn with me to 2 Chronicles 34? 2 Chronicles 34. And I've got a slightly long reading for you this morning. I once read the entire Beatitudes out before I preached a message. It took me 15 minutes. Look of horror on the face of the congregation when I started to read it. I promise I'm not reading that this morning. Mainly because that's in Matthew. And we're going to start at verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Ziliah, Masiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites had kept the door had gathered, from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, and all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they had put it in the hand of the foreman, who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord, to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites of the son of Mariah, and Zechariah and Meshullam of the sons of the Kohathites to supervise over the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did the work in any kinds of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers and gatekeepers. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. And then the king commanded Hilkah, Achan the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Achan, the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Azilah the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the word of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, to do according to all that is written in his book. So Hilkah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Arash, the keeper of the wardrobe. And she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses which are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me, and burned incense to other gods, that they might provide, uh, provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place, and not be quenched. 
But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place, and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in the peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I'll bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Jerusalem and Judah. The king went up to the house of the Lord of all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small, and he read in their hearing, all the words of the book of the covenant which they had been found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments. And his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in the le- Israel diligently serve the Lord their God all the days they did not depart for following him, the Lord God of their fathers. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We pray this morning, Lord, that you speak to your congregation, Lord. Let these be your words and not mine, Lord. But challenge, I pray, Lord, with this new thing. In your mighty name, Father. Amen. Amen. Now, that was a long reading, so well done for sitting through it. And let's uh, move on with regards to what we're going to do. Today, I want to continue with our topic of the summer of love. Now that we've got summer, to go with the love. But if I may, I'd like to just recap a little bit on where we've got up to, so we're just aware. So, first of all, we began with this statement that Christ first loved us. Looking at Song of Solomon, we saw the bridegroom embracing the bride, drawing her to her bosom. On one hand, to steady the bride, and on the other, to draw her close. This is the relationship that the Lord Jesus wants with each and every one of us. And I will continually keep saying that, because that's what he wants. Remembering, friends, that it is Jesus that's done all the chasing, not us. The Lord did all the chasing, and he chased us, and he chased us, and he brought us to himself. And then we discussed why it is that we should love the Lord back. Not in any kind of equal sense, because we can't love the Lord in the same way that he loves us. His love is that agape love, that perfect love but that we should love him in that equal sense. But what we should do is take to heart this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Friends, knowing that we don't live under the law anymore, but we live under the grace, the grace of God, a grace that was purchased through love, through Jesus' love, through the cross, which is what we celebrated this morning. And it can only upheld when we examine all of the actions that we do from the attitude that we love God. In the same way, in any relationships, we don't purposely try to offend the person that we love. If we love the Lord, 
We will not do that that upsets him. We will seek to please him as we seek to please one another who we love. Then we discuss communicating with our saviour. I'm only reminding this because you've had a week off. We discuss communicating with our saviour through prayer. And you know, friends, we have seen the Lord communicate with us in this wonderful way. And we remember that prayer isn't about us telling God things that he didn't know about. Because God knows everything. And God has already answered our prayers before we even asked them. That isn't the purpose of prayer. Prayer is a statement of faith. When you pray to the invisible and everybody around you tells you you're a child who's praying to his imaginary friend. In faith we pray knowing that the Lord is there. Praise the Lord, we know that the Lord is there. And prayer encourages us and grows our relationship with the Lord because we develop and believe that the Lord answers prayer. And we can pray continually knowing this, that Scripture promises us that the Lord will always hear the prayers that are made in the temple. And that the temple of the Lord is not this building or is not a church but that we ourselves are the temple of the Lord, that when we accept Jesus as Saviour, he dwells within our hearts. He creates a holy of holies for himself, where he dwells within us. And his word says where he dwells, he will continually hear our prayers. What wonderful promises I believe that we have seen. So this brings us to today's message. Continuing with this theme of communicating, but this time focusing on the most important love letter that was ever sent between two lovers. You know, when Mel and I first started to date, we weren't actually allowed to date. We were a bit naughty, really, in that sense, because we were both on the Pays Project. And although I was in my second year, Mel was in her first, and we made an agreement when you go on the Pays Project that you won't date in the first year, because cause all kinds of trouble so we didn't date in our first year we sent each other letters <laughs> lots and lots of love letters song lyrics and uh, all, oh, you, you, all kinds of mushy stuff that you send you look back now you go I can't believe that I ever did that but that's the kind of thing that we used to do but you know the Lord sent us a love letter it's not full of mush it's not full of nonsense It's not full of song lyrics. It's full of him, his divine nature. Wonderful promises, experiences. It's the most wonderful love letter sent. A love letter sent to each and every one of us. The Bible. Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Very famous. We all know that. We all have that, and probably you've got it cross-stitched somewhere in your house, because everybody's got that on a cross-stitch. Friends, I could not give a clearer verse than this to point to the significance of Scripture to our Christian lives. The Bible, the Scripture, is one of the most important elements. It is a light to our feet. It is the guide upon the path of righteousness that every one of us that have accepted Jesus should wish to take. And go upon. It is a narrow way. And it is a difficult way. And we need a guide. But it's not a fortune telling book. As some presume it might be. Where you flick it open. And put your finger in. And that's the word for today. And that's what I'm going to go on. 
That word has come out and therefore I am going to, that's what the Lord wants me to do today, friends. That is not how we read and communicate with God through blind luck. You know, it isn't even an instruction guide on how we should live. Lots of people think that that's what it is. We'll just keep turning to it. It's an instru- I'll follow everything blindly. Although when we read it, we can understand and grasp a better understanding of what a righteous life is and how we might do it. And that's only when we studied the whole Bible. Not little bits that we pull out because they look good underlined or anything else. That's when we understand the whole of Scripture, that we understand the life of the Christian. Friends, the Scriptures are much deeper and fundamental to our salvation. More than an instruction manual or some kind of supernatural sat-nav that we've got that's going to guide us through the very different roundabouts that are our life and choices. It's so much more than that. Friends, it's the only way that we may understand the Lord. The Bible is the only way that we might understand the Lord. You know, through prayer and worship, we can get to know Jesus more intimately. We grow in faith and we get a little bit closer, that's true. But it's only with a desire to search the scriptures that we may understand the Lord, that we may understand the Lord. We may understand his government. We may understand his ordinances and commands. That we may understand his history, his future. And friends, most importantly, that we might understand his purposes for our lives. Both individually and together as a group corporately. That's what it is. In fact, not only is scripture the way that we understand all of these things about the Lord. Scripture by its very definition is the nature of the divine Lord. It is a description of God. And let me explain it and put it in a way like this. That if you'd never seen a fish in your life and there was no such thing as photography or artwork, then a fish would have to be described, written down to you, is how we might understand the Bible. It says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Praise God. The Logos. This is not just an instruction manual. It is a description of the divine Lord. For what no man can see, it is a verbal and a vocabulary description of God in the best way that we might understand him. If we want to understand the Lord, then the word is our description of the Lord so that we are not like nameless servants who do his will and don't care why or what, but instead we are called brothers and friends who understand the plans and purposes of God. Why? Because he has given us the opportunity through his word to understand his divine nature Because it is a description of him. Praise the Lord. You know, I could go on all day about how fundamental the word is to us. It is important. But friends, what we must know is this. Unless we read and study what is considered to be this verbal form of the Lord, then we too don't have a light that guides our way. 
We are groping about in the dark when it comes to the will and purposes of God. If you are there at that crossroads and you don't know whether to go to the left or to the right or to straight on, it's because we don't understand the divine nature of God. That the path that's set before us is described in the way that he is. So that what he requires of us, we understand because we understand the purposes of God. And as we have seen, it is the Lord's will that we know him intimately. And that's what all I've talked to you about so far, is that we must know the Lord intimately. He wants to know us as lovers, as husband and wife. How can we do this if we don't attempt to understand God? And we must come to understand this. So this brings me to our scripture today. Josiah's discovery of the word of God. And you know, at at first glance of this scripture, it's probably well known, you've probably read it before, is that after many years of godless rule from two terrible kings, Josiah's father and grandfather, so bad were their rules that the judgments of God that were set out in the books of Deuteronomy, given to Moses, were to be enacted. They were going to come about. What the children of Israel thought would never happen is going to happen. God is going to judge for the sin. These were all set in motion. And we see this young man who has a heart after God, who purges and brings down the Asherahs and the false gods. And he begins to rebuild the temple. And in my Bible, I read it out there, it said money, but it is the word translated is silver. It is always silver that is translated there that he collects the silver for the rebuilding and in their work in their rebuilding he comes across a book oh how interesting what's this book what's this book that's hidden away that nobody seems to have looked at for two or three generations friends we're talking 80 years this book is the word of god And you know, it's very hard sometimes for us to imagine such a thing as in a land of people that are dedicated to serving God that they've completely forgotten about the word of God. It's been put aside. It's a hard thing to even imagine what it would be like to do this. Imagine to rediscover this, that the faith that you have always had, that you have always done it the way that your fathers have done it and your forefathers and your aunties and your uncles and everybody that's always come along and told you, this is how you worship God, this is how it's supposed to be done, to finally read the word of God and know that you've been doing it wrong for all that. But not just a little bit wrong, but a great bit wrong. You've been absolutely worshipping God in a way that he'd completely said, no, don't do that. Imagine being in that situation that you loved the Lord, but found that the religion that you were following was not of God. You know, Paul found himself in that experience. He thought he was doing God's will when he persecuted the church. But God intervened and showed him that he wasn't doing what the Lord wanted him to do. Imagine if your faith in God bore no resemblance to the way your faith was to be carried out as described by the Lord God himself. You know, what happened to Josiah is not actually that unique to us. All the way through church history, this has happened. 
There have been times where the church has had to rediscover the word of God as if it's a brand new thing that's come out to them. And the Lord has done a new thing in him. But you know, like most revivals, it's not the Lord doing a new thing. It's the church discovering the way it should have always been done. And that's the way that it is. It's the church discovering the way it should always have been done. You know, one such time that I can think of where the word of God was rediscovered was with Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King, that was something else. But Martin Luther, this German monk, who in an age when the scriptures were only in Latin and only a small minority were allowed to understand them, yet alone have access to them, this monk read the scriptures and realised that the Catholic faith that he was following was not the faith of the Bible. He realised the faith he had so earnestly followed, had given up his life for, had lived in a monastery for, had closed himself off for. This religion of works was not the one that was prescribed by the Bible, the work of grace. And he nailed his objections to the door of the cathedral in Württemberg and taught salvation through grace, not through works. And like Paul, whilst he was still Saul, he realised that in the zeal of his actions, he was not following the one true God. And often in conversations I've had with many of you, I've talked about, well, you know, these things are happening nationally and these things are maybe that I believe I could say without, with utter confidence, friends, utter confidence and without a shadow of doubt today that in Christ, in the body of Christ in Great Britain, we have forgotten the word of God. And I don't think I, I, I'm even on a limb there when I say this. And it's a coincidental manner why we've forgotten the word of God. And it's simply this, because people were trying to get a more intimate relationship with God, which is the exact same thing that we're trying to do. But in trying to do that, they tried to do it through other means. So they stressed the emotional and the faith-filled moves of the spirit. Greater and more professional worship. Deeper prayer. And the Bible was pushed aside as being divisive. Instead of Bible studies, we have homilies, which are good little moral tales that we as Christians could live by. And we were told that doctrine is divisive and will not bring all the churches together. So let's get rid of that pesky doctrine. We'll just all join together on worship. And that... Nobody needed to bring a Bible to church anymore. Let me challenge you, friends. Who brought a Bible to church with them this morning? I wonder if that would have been... Oh, you don't have to put your hands up, don't worry. <laughs> and that is not, that's not... The thing is, is, friends, that 15 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. Everybody would have brought their own Bible to church because that's what we did. That's what we did. You bring a Bible with you to church. It's obvious, but yet it's not there. Because Bibles weren't needed. And nobody ever tested the word that was preached from the pulpit anymore. Why? Because we wanted intimacy with God. And how can you have intimacy with God 
when the pastors stood at the front talking about the Levitical sacrifices or the tabernacle or how much fat should be left on the kidney or some of these what seem dry things within scripture oh no we don't want that let's have some of this exciting worship instead and friends what happened is in our desire to get closer to God we do exactly what David did when he tried to bring the ark up in an inappropriate manner. He brings the ark up completely uncovered. The reason that the ark was to be covered within the skins of the animals which represents humanity is because the ark is a type of Jesus. The holiness of God cannot be exposed to the sinfulness of man until the redemption came. It needed to be carried within the humanity of Christ Jesus. Yet David brought it up naked, like Adam and Eve were naked, as if it was nothing. But the holiness of God is something that's so amazing that, friends, if we don't have the reverence for it, we deserve the judgment of God. And that's what happened. A man reached out his hand and touched the ark of God as if it was nothing. And he died. And that's what's happened, friends. As people have searched for an intimacy with God without understanding God, They have died spiritually and our churches have emptied and they are turned into wine bars and mosques and gyms and snooker halls. And even though they cry out to those that don't know the Lord like the stones that would have cried out had the people hadn't, they cry out and say, this land once worshipped God in its entirety. The people that were in them, the people that have given up and walked off and tried other things, why have they done it? Because they couldn't find intimacy with God. You can't have intimacy with anybody when you don't know them. And there's a generation of young people that are learning that out. It is right that in a marriage a man and a woman may enjoy one another. Yet you cannot, you cannot have that as the only enjoyment in your relationship. Friends, if it's only in the bedroom, then you have nothing at all as a marriage. Soon you will get bored and disaster will strike. Our relationships, friends, are not built only on physical intimacy. They are built on mutual respect and understanding. And so it is with God. And that's how it must be. But there's a problem with Luther's awakening. Because although he restored grace to the church, he later said these words. That God would judge every Christian for allowing Jews to live. That it was the job of every Christian to kill every single one of them. And that, friends, is not God's heart. And it's contrary to Scripture. So how did Luther's half-awakening end up turning into a justification for what the Nazis did in the Second World War? And they did. They used the words of Luther as a justification for these things. To get this, we must understand Joah's, Josiah's scriptural awakening, and that's what I believe it was. He had a scriptural awakening. And the answer to do this is to look at it from a typological point of view. Understanding. Because on the outward, we have understood the message, I believe. You can read it and you can understand what happened. And this is this, that friends, we must reacquaint ourselves with the word of God. And if you leave with nothing at all today, that's the challenge that goes forth. 
as a church, it is time to reacquaint ourselves. And I believe, friends, for many of us, that's already happened. I am having you come to me and say, I found this in Scripture. I have found that in Scripture. As we start to read through, as we've been doing the Learn the Bible, we are getting thoroughly and thoroughly excited about the Word of God. And so it should be. Because the Word of God is exciting. It's not dry. And when you put it aside and it's discovered anew, then like Josiah, we tear our clothes and go, this, this, is the way that we should understand God. It has begun. Many of you talked about discovering this. And friends, to facilitate this, I believe that we as a church must drip with the word of God. That we must be saturated with the word of God. This week is the AGM and then next week is the last of the hubs before the summer holidays. To facilitate an encouragement and a growth in understanding of the word of God, I want to challenge us to go deeper in our study of the word. And because of that, on the Wednesday evening over the summer period, I will be reintroducing a summer Bible class, a Bible study for us to meet here. It is an opportunity for you to come along from half past seven till about half past eight, nine-ish. We will look at the word of God. We will study something and we will study it deeply. As it says, line upon line, precept upon precept, that we might understand the word of God in a much better and greater way. Because that is good for us. And that's what I want to do. Again, as I say to you with all meetings, you come to what you can come to. If you are not available, if you can't make it, if that's not your kind of thing, that's perfectly fine. Come to what you can come to. There'll be plenty of opportunities for you to understand the Bible in so many of our other meetings. So don't worry about that at all. I'll throw lots and lots of opportunities for you. Adding to that, Josiah read out the word in the presence of all of Israel. And as I've already said, I believe this to be important. It has a power in it. And that's why we are going to start our new church year in September by reading the word of God aloud. Yet there are a few interesting pointers within these scriptures. I believe the Lord has put them there for us to discover them. They're in a little deeper and they require deeper study. And it's when we do deeper study that we get to know God. And we follow this desire all the way to its conclusion. So that we don't do the same thing as Luther. Where we start off in a scriptural awakening. And then drop it to go back to what we had before. But so that we go deeper. Let us look and understand this about Josiah deeper. There are key points in the accounts of what Josiah did here with lists of names. I bet you're so glad I didn't make you read that out with those lists of names. You know, the names, the names. You've got to get good at these names, haven't you? So they can be very hard. And you're the J's and all of that. But I think the lists of names themselves are suggestive. This group of people all of a sudden and a deeper study reveals to me that there is a deeper understanding of what's going on here. A scriptural awakening for it to become a permanent revival within our bodies. So let us look at these. The first thing that we see is that Josiah is repairing the house of God, the temple. Verses 8 and 9 say, I can't believe I'm going to make myself do this again. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land, 
and the house he sent Shaphan, the son of Aziliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of Jehovah his God. And they came to Hilkiah the priest, and they delivered the silver that was brought into the house of God. Praise the Lord. I got that through that. Josiah begins repairing the temple. And the note here is before Josiah begins repairing the temple, there was a purge first. A purge of all the falseness and of all the sin. Friends, I can't talk of the purge. You can talk of the purge. You've experienced the purge. But now, I believe the Lord is ready to rebuild the temple. To rebuild the temple. And so to repair the temple, he dispatched the officials to give the required silver to the workmen. But what are they doing? Why are they giving silver to the workmen? Well, they're delivering the silver for the rebuilding of the temple, which has been collected but not given to workmen before. It's just been stored up and piled up. Now, some of your verses may say money, but the word is silver. Why does it say silver? Why does it not say gold? Why does it not say precious stones? Why does it not say all of the other things that people rose when they were giving to the house of God? Why does it only say silver? You know, the kings that had come before had ripped all of the gold that they could out of the temple and sold it off. They really did need gold. They needed a lot more gold to get it back. Why does it only say silver? And that's because... Silver itself has its own symbolism. Silver was the redemption coin that was given for the firstborn. You'll read that when you get to numbers. Silver is also what the tabernacle rested upon. All that the tabernacle was to do was built on silver sockets. Silver always represents in the Bible the atoning blood, the sacrifice, the redemption. And as we've seen before in Corinthians, the temple of the Lord is us. We are the temple of the living God. Put together, what we see here is that from a scriptural awakening of each and every one of us is the rebuilding of the temple. And we are the temple. And it can only be rebuilt when we too remember the neglected redemption that was collected and given to each and every one of us. Humbling ourselves, knowing that this temple, this temple, is raised only by the blood of Jesus. We're not re-crucifying Christ because it's a once and for all sacrifice. But we are humbling ourselves and remembering to build our lives on the foundation stone that is Christ Jesus, paid for by his atoning blood. It's quite wonderful. So what we see there is what we might deem as revival. Oh, church, how we want to see revival in this land and in this place. We pray for revival. Revival is that, friends. It's not hundreds of people walking through the door. It is the church themselves humbling ourselves and remembering that Christ Jesus is our cornerstone. And there in the scripture, in its symbolism, we see the very mention 
that the rebuilding of the temple is built upon the atoning blood. That when we humble ourselves and remember to do that, yet we can add to this, this list of names. It's interesting because some have the names of their fathers and some don't. To me, that's suggestive that the Lord is telling us something. Maybe we have a list like Genesis 5 that we all enjoyed where we saw Noah's genealogies and we worked through them. Shaphan, the first name, means rock badger. So that's a promising start. How do we get from rock badger to something that God wants to say? Well, I'm going to do it. Proverbs 30.26 is something very interesting about rock badgers. A rock badger, by the way, is a type of rabbit, if you're wondering what they are. It's very unusual, but it's a rabbit. And it says this in Proverbs 30.26. The rock badgers are not a mighty people, yet they make their houses in the rock which might seem obvious by the name rock badger. But the word that is used here for rock is the word sailor. It's the same root as sailor that we read all the way through Psalms, which my friend used to think it meant guitar solo. But it doesn't mean guitar solo. It means the quiet contemplation to understand the nature of God. Exactly what we've been talking about in our scriptures. Figuratively, the rock badger, not mighty, but lives in the contemplation of the scriptures. That he might understand God. The next lists, or the names listed then, from Azilia to the priest Hilke, all of their names start with the term Yahweh is or Yahweh has. If we were to add Josiah's name at the start, because he's the one that sent them, Josiah's name means Yahweh supports him. Then we get phrases such as this. Yahweh supports him, Shaphan, who contemplates the scriptures. We read Azilia means Yahweh has set him aside. Maesa means he does Yahweh's work. Joah means he is Yahweh's brother. Joaz means Yahweh has grasped him. And Hilkah means Yahweh is my portion. Then we see that these men that were sent to show the people to rebuild the temple through the redemption of Christ Jesus, each one of them. God has blessed their work in the quiet contemplation of the scriptures that they are built upon. Friends, before the spiritual revival, there must be a scriptural revival in the church that the word of God drips from our mouths like honey that it is ever upon our lips that we desire to know God and know him in a deeper and better way that is the challenge it says in Isaiah 52 7 how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good tidings, making peace heard, who brings good news, making salvation heard, who says to you, Zion, Zion, your God reigns. What we see is this revival type, these men bringing the word of God, full with the word of God, bringing the atonement. How beautiful those words are. Food to the starving man, Water to he who's dying of thirst. Help to the drowning are the words of God.
To make this point stick even further, the next list of names does a similar thing. It says in verse 12, the men did the work faithfully and overseers of them were Jaath, Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merai, Zechariah and Meshullam, the sons of the Kohathites. Here we have two of the three families listed whose job it was to oversee the temple worship. The Merayites' job was to take care of the outer courts of the temple. They were to guard the outside of the temple to make sure the people of God didn't do anything wrong, that they didn't come and approach God in an appropriate manner. The names here were J.F. and Obadiah. Put together, they say this, God will snatch up the servants of God. The Kohathites were in charge of the inner worship in the holy place. Their names, Zechariah and Meshulah, put together say, God remembers the devoted. Two groups here. One charged with the outward of the temple. The other charged with the inward of the temple. Both showing the work of those who are spiritually aware. And overseeing the capacity they are blessed before God. God will remember them for their devotion and their work. And the final list of names given when they inquire of what the Lord would do, having realized that they were out of the will of God, when they went to the prophetess Holder. Well, we've already said that Helka means God is my portion. Holder means weasel, which is a name which is specific. The names that people call their children. But weasel which is a name that is specifically mentioned as being unclean. Shalom means retribution. Tikvath means hope. And Harash means the spiritually poor put together. We see God is my portion. To the unclean thing, retribution. But hope to the spiritually poor, it says in Matthew 5 two, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of Heaven. As a variety of as pastor, it's been on all of our hearts, I believe, that we see a revival in the church. Certainly a restoration of the glorious things that God is doing. I, I want to share some of that on Wednesday, so please come along. A revival or even a restoration has to begin in all of us by getting to know the Lord intimately, as desi- he desires for us to get to know him. Yet what I've tried to do today, earnestly, is to stress to you that without pouring ourselves over the scriptures, we will never intimately get to know God. So we must do this. Why does the Lord do something? Well, his nature is described to us in great detail in the word. We may understand those reasons and give better answers when our friends ask questions. Our mouths must drip with a word like honey. It's sweet in our lips and convicting in our hearts and our stomachs. Friends, I can't sugarcoat this for you. I had a friend who wanted to grow in God and I kept telling him, pray and read the Bible. He didn't want that answer. He wanted the answer to be he needed to move to another country and start to preach the gospel to them. But you want to know God intimately. There's many a missionary who neglects the word of God and themselves find themselves hopeless in a situation. Only when we get to know and understand God. William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, or one of the first, so that we might understand it, 
His first finished copy, you know, went overboard in, in a storm on a boat and he had to start again, which for most of us would be the point where we gave up. But he did it again. It cost him his life. He was burnt at the stake for it. He is famous for saying this to a bishop, that his purpose for writing the Bible in English was so that the boy who drove the plow knew more of the scriptures than those who lived in those ivory towers of the Church of England. Friends, in our day, the Bible is freely given to each one of us. It's relatively cheap to buy. So why do we spit on Tyndale's legacy? A man who paid with his life to bring the Bible in English that we might not be able to pick it up at least once a day. The New Testament warns of false teachers and Jude teaches us that any one of us could become a false teacher at any time. How will we even know if we don't know the scriptures? You know, Josiah found the law and it was a delight to him. He tore his clothes and inquired of the Lord. He didn't beg that, that the, what was going to happen didn't happen or plead any kind of ignorance and say, well, I didn't know we were doing it wrong, God. He just read it to the people so that they knew. Deeper in scripture, I believe, we see the Lord showing that a spiritual revival, which is a church, remembering once again sin, judgment, fellowship of the saints, and most importantly, a deepening relationship with him, follows from a scriptural awakening. Saints helping one another to rebuild their temples through this message of humility and that God rewards the righteous and punishes those who are unclean. I wonder, friends, what our excuse might be when we get to heaven if we don't make the effort. Will we say we didn't have time or I didn't have the chance? Because in truth, friends, God doesn't have to do it through us. He can wait another generation. He can wait for the next generation and see if they will turn to his word. Friends, let us awaken to the scriptures again. And friends, as we do, we will see spiritual revival of our church when we return to a scriptural revival in our lives. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word because it, it is more than instruction. But Father, it is instead a description of you, Father Lord, that we might understand you better. I pray, Lord, that we be passionate about your word again, Father Lord, that we be caught discussing your word, Father Lord, that, Lord, you are always on our hearts and our minds, that 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 we don't understand, we build each other up in faith. Today, Lord, you have spoken to us through your spirit and how mighty and wonderful it is that we've done that. We've worshipped you and come around your table and you have blessed us and we know that you have been in the midst of us. So I pray, Lord, as we go, let your words ponder upon our hearts, Lord. Lord, as the devil tries to take this away from us, Lord. Lord, as we leave our Bibles once again, let us, Lord, turn to them, I pray, that we might passionately desire to read them. So do this, I pray, in your mighty name, Father. Amen.